This is WWVU-FM Morgantown, and welcome to Say Something Nice, the weekly music discussion show on United to the Moose, where Griffin and Anthony recommend each other an album that each other has not heard, and then they say something nice. I am Anthony. I'm Griffin. Uh, and this is the inaugural episode of Say Something Nice. We've got two albums today. Uh, the album that I recommended, Griffin, uh, Stratosphere by Duster. And, uh, and then I, I recommended uh, the album Antisocialites by the band Always. Um, would you like to go ahead and get started, or should I introduce first? Uh, you can introduce first. I have all my notes here, so I'm, right. I'm ready. Awesome. So, uh, Stratosphere by Duster is the 1998 album uh, from the group. It is the, uh, their first album. Uh, kind of set off their mythical status uh, as a band, since they only released two albums uh, before taken a long hiatus of 19 years to release their self-titled album this past uh this past winter uh one of my favorite albums i kind of uh fell in love with it over this past fall um it really it took me a little bit to get into this uh album i'll be completely honest um uh, it clicked for me one morning at uh, I guess I'll say morning at 3 a.m. sitting on my bathroom floor, looking up at the sky out of my window, uh, and that's pretty much that's that's pretty much how I can describe this album. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, you agree with that sentiment or not, Griffin. But yeah, so this album it did definitely take me some listens to sort of get into and uh, and really get the appeal. Um, and I, on your behest, I did try to recreate your, your Duster experience <laughs> in an attempt to get it. And this is a very, I, I mean, the genre that uh, the band revolutionized is called slowcore. So this is a very slow album, not in such a way that it, it is ambient, but just in such a way that they are really locked into grooves and everything and they don't feel the need to get it like hurry up and get a song out um it's also interesting no particular track on this album is very long i think the longest one is around seven minutes mm-hmm, the time uh, track they, is seven. they usually run around just three or four um but just the 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 way the album is laid out it makes for a very sprawling kind of listen um mm-hmm. 17 tracks total i believe yeah, there's a lot that of is, tracks. I yeah. mean, it is it is lengthy, especially for a single uh, disc. It's not a double album, but it does run. I think the version on streaming runs about 58 minutes, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, uh, 54 from what I'm seeing here. Okay, 54. Um, and it's an album... The reason I bring this up is because as I did the, the 3 a.m. challenge, uh, the Stratosphere <laughs> 3 a.m. challenge... I did start to fall asleep a little bit and was then frightened awake by uh, track seven on here, Echo Bravo, which uh, begins with a kind of raucous uh, noise. I'd hesitate to call it a noise wall, but it's a noise barrier for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And that was the other interesting thing about this record is that it doesn't let you get too comfortable in it for long. There were various, so the first actual track on it, I'll say, because the opener Moon Age is just kind of a minute long uh, prelude. It's an intro, yeah. Yeah, the first track, uh, Heading for the Door, reminds me a lot of just kind of a basic indie rock uh, sound. It's, it's nothing too mm-hmm. out there, dour, or anything like that. Um, it, it sounded very familiar, and so I thought I perhaps knew where this album was going, and it's around like track seven, Echo Bravo, where it started to switch things up on me. Um, and every time I thought I kind of got what it was doing, it did that again. Um, which in one sense made for a more interesting listen, um, but I don't know that it did it enough for me to maintain interest the whole way through. Because it is a very, mm-hmm. uh, it's a trying album for me. I'm a very impatient listener. <laughs> and it's an album that you really have to sit down with and kind mm-hmm. of let do its thing. It's, it's a very meditative record. Uh, the only time that I had to genuinely tune out a track was on the, um, the title track, Stratosphere, which okay. to my ears is just a, a long drone with some drums in the background. Essentially, yeah, that's really uh, kind of the band's foray into actual ambience on the record uh but um i definitely kind of understand having to tune that out a little bit uh yeah well i think it's nice for what it is and it's nice to break it up mm -hmm. uh and it it was another time where i was like kind of taken aback by just how uh varied they were willing to get on different tracks yeah but I don't know that it quite worked for mm-hmm. me. I don't know that it held my interest by that point. Because that's pretty late in the record, too. Yeah, um, second half. Yeah. Um, and I, I wanted to bring up... Uh, so they are the... Going to the genre which this record is categorized as. Mm-hmm. Um, it's largely Duster is seen as like the kind of forefathers of slowcore. Um, does that genre at all work within or have a relationship with either shoegaze or lo-fi because I'm slightly more familiar with those genres and the touchstones of those genres and there were moments on this that reminded me of some of those yeah definitely I think um so uh I would say slowcore kind of started more in the early 90s uh with bands like Galaxy 500 and low um and Galaxy 500 kind of represents more of the, I would say, like, it's it's more just like kind of like that jangle dream pop that's just slowed down a lot more. Um, and so in that sense, it does share the kind of same uh, parent genre as uh, shoegaze. Mm. But I think what Duster kind of did with Slowcore is they took that slowed down sentiment uh, and mixed it more with like the My Bloody Valentine style of shoegaze. Uh, yeah, My Bloody Valentine, I'm glad that you brought that up because that was the exact touchstone that I kind of picked mm-hmm. up on. Just so far as there's a lot of interest in texture on this album Absolutely. to my ears. Yeah, um, and that's really... Because uh, I consider Duster to kind of be more of the anomaly in... Uh, slowcore because i mean it's again one of those genres where 
the only uh, kind of com- uh, grounding feature is that it's slow and usually sad, but that's not really a sound. Like there's so many different sounds that kind of go into it. Uh, right. I and that. Uh, do you know at all how this album was recorded? Yeah, so it was recorded at home, or like a home-ish studio. It was actually recorded by Phil Eck, uh, who has recorded, like he did all the Fleet Foxes albums and stuff. Uh, he did Unwound, uh, some of their stuff. He's basically just the the guy in Seattle. That's uh, so interesting, because those Fleet Foxes records, I think, are so like, clean. Um, yeah, immaculately so produced. Yeah. And these are very, very grimy at points. Yeah. There, there are moments... My guess would have that uh, was that it would have been a mix of studio and home recordings, um, mm-hmm. but it being in kind of a home studio makes sense as well because there are moments where it sounds very clean and very crisp, like on yeah, uh, like on heading for the door, or like mm-hmm. some of the instrumental tracks, but also moments where it, it sounds very like uh, quiet and uh, personal um, in a way that you can only get really, I feel like, from home recording. Yeah, and the entire. Uh... Duster is a cassette recording band. Everything was done onto an eight track, except for one of the songs is actually onto a four track, but that's, I mean, yeah. So it is entirely recorded the tape, which definitely adds to the, ex- a lot of the extreme lo-fi-ness of the album. But yeah, Philip like really... Moments... No, go ahead with Philip. Philip uh, like really knows kind of what he's doing with this, because to me the drum sounds on the album are clean. Like the drums sound incredible for as lo-fi as the guitars are throughout the entire. Yeah, that's, there's never a point, especially for an album as lo-fi as it is, and especially since it was recorded straight to cassette, no piece of instrumentation feels like it gets lost. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that can be at different points, both to the album's benefit and to its kind of discredit. Um, because there were moments where everything sounded so dry and so high in the mix that mm-hmm. the dynamics uh, didn't uh, hit as hard for me. There are those tracks like Echo Bravo, which uh, starts out with kind of a noise uh, situation and then becomes these like this uh, heavy guitar track where, you know, with a track like that, obviously the dynamics will be more pronounced. Um, so for, for moments like that, it worked. But on the more consistently uh, jammy and groove laden, uh, without the, the tracks without a lot of progression throughout them, uh, the dynamics being lost didn't always work for me. Okay. Um, and tell me if I'm off base saying that the dynamics on this album are kind of flat. Yeah, definitely. Which I mean is something that you're going to have to deal with when you're recording to tape. Um... But I mean, also, it's kind of, like you said, too, it's really, uh, in a way, a test of patience, this album, because it's so, like, it's not really, it has its moments, of course, uh, but it's not really, like, these big builds that end with these huge kind of moments. It's pretty steady throughout a song, for the most part. Yeah, um, what did bring me in more to it when the when the instrumental wasn't quite uh, engaging enough were the lyrics. I thought the lyrics were really good on this album consistently. It has this kind of youthful ennui that again reminded me of of My Bloody Valentine or even some 
and maybe this is a combination of the low fineness of it too, but something's going on in the emo genre around the time. Mm-hmm. Like there were parts that reminded me of kind of early bright eyes. Okay. Um, uh, especially lyrically or even like uh, kind of a singer songwriter, like Elliot Smith. There's specifically one track um, that I can't remember which one it was uh, on the, on the first half of the record where the vocals are doubled up in a way that reminded me a lot of how Elliot Smith produced a lot of his vocals. Okay. I um, think it was probably topical solution. Uh, quite possibly. Um, but the, the lyrics right. I thought were very, very engaging throughout, mm-hmm. uh, which is when you can they're not them. right. They're, they're mixed very strangely. And also another reason that I, I was wondering how this album was recorded was because basically every track uh, the lyrics and the vocals are, are whispered. They're like in a whisper tone, mm-hmm. uh, which is, it, it doesn't not work for me, but it's so, the, again, the vocals have very few other dynamics that kind of walk <laughs> in just like the rest of the instrumentals here. Um, and it's interesting because the, uh, at various times, the rest of the band is playing quite loudly, uh, which makes me wonder how these songs are performed live with mm-hmm. such quiet vocals. Um, and I don't know how any of any of that would work, but there were times where the vocals worked for me in the style that they were, and other times uh, they became monotonous. Uh, okay. I think "Read to Hillsboro" mm-hmm. um, is a track that I the vocals were not really working for me on. Um, but then you know, for everyone like that, you have like a topical solution or like a heading for the door, which I really uh, did enjoy. Yeah, how they played on there. Um. Yeah, I get your point about the lyrics, but I think what kind of saves it from quite doing that for me is how uh, rarely lyrics are really used throughout the album. Because I think for just about uh, as many tracks with lyrics, there's almost as many without. Uh, there's a lot of instrumental tracks on here too. And then even I'd the maybe songs... say there are, there are maybe even a few more without than there are with. Okay. Uh, but the way that like, even the songs with lyrics will have like one sentence that is Mm -hmm. the entire lyrical content of the song, which makes it tough to listen to also, because it's kind of hard to get the point without reading it because he'll stretch one word over like three bars of instrumentals. Yeah. Um, that is, it's for sure. It's an album that, and sometimes albums like this can frustrate me as well albums that you have to go back and read um and i think there's some value in that for sure but when an album is already very patience testing Mm -hmm. um with the way that it sounds and everything having to go back and listen to it a a second time just to get what it's doing fully lyrically can uh, be a frustration to me but if you really like this record or, or the the sounds on it that's just going to be all the more reason to love it, you know, because you get to revisit it more. I was curious with how you think this connects to their recent work because their self-titled record that came out last year was the first Suster record that I'd listened to. Mm-hmm. And I remember at the time I thought it was like, okay, I liked it well enough. But I think that this record has made me appreciate it maybe even more. And I don't know if that is um, considered heresy uh, among Suster <laughs> fans. But uh, I, I think that the problems that I have with this record are not nearly as present on the recent release. 
Yeah, um, it's definitely the consensus among most Dust records is that over the course of their three albums, they have uh, declined a little bit just in uh, how good they are. But uh, I mean, to me, I think Duster is a pretty much bulletproof discography, in my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, as U92's resident Duster fan. Um, but yeah, it's kind of listening from this album to their new album. Uh, it can be a little tough. Like, it seems like a bit of a jump. But if you listen to their second album, Contemporary Movement, they kind of move into that uh, slightly heavier sound that was present on uh they're self-titled this past year uh and from there it's a very more like logical progression um and and do you know if they got if the producer for this record came back for the last one that they put out i don't believe so i'm pretty sure phil eck was just on this album i don't even think he did contemporary movement but that's something Mm. that i would have to i would be really interested in seeing because i do think strangely enough i I kind of assumed that this album didn't have a dedicated producer Mm -hmm. um just because of how you know lo-fi it sounds at point or it sounded at points um i thought it was very much a uh sort of uh, not i don't want to say passion project but you know there are some albums that just don't have producers that are dedicated producers to that they are made mostly like within the band um so hearing that it had a dedicated producer and one as good uh, notorious yeah yeah that's very interesting to me and i'd be interested to see then how those other records sound compared to this one to see Mm -hmm. what exactly the production was doing here yeah they've definitely gotten uh i would say i don't want to necessarily say necessarily say cleaner um Mm -hmm. but not as uh lo-fi as this one they've gotten more yeah, because the new album is for sure fuzzed out, you know, the distorted guitars, and it's still very... Um, but it just the dynamics on it, I think, are better. And mm-hmm. the... Because you said you liked the sound of the drums. I appreciate that they're not lost in the mix, which is something I didn't even consider at the time for how lo-fi this album can be. Uh, the drums should be way more lost in the mix than they are. But those super dry drums did not work for me most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something that was not nearly as prevalent, I feel like, on their recent record. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. Um, so, yeah, I'll kind of just go on uh, what I find so appealing about this record and kind of uh, what. I do or how I feel more when I listen to it is that uh, it's kind of one of those albums that I just kind of lay back and close my eyes to. And it kind of just like lifts me up and I feel like I'm just kind of like floating while listening to this album. Uh, It's kind of has that same effect as like you said, like a shoegaze album, but this one is so much uh, the one thing this has that shoegaze doesn't is uh, how minimal it is in Mm a lot of the usage, I suppose. Like, I mean, when you think of uh, shoegaze, they usually have multiple guitar tracks. And I know they definitely do on this album. It gets up to three, but it's not three guitars all playing 
like I don't know there's not too many moments on this album where all the guitars are playing chords it's kind of different uh lines that weave together yeah so like if I could use two words because I, I was thinking about this as I was listening to it and drawing comparisons to my bloody valentine as well the my bloody valentine uh, especially like with uh, a record like loveless i consider that album to be very lush and, and mm-hmm. layered and this one is pretty sparse and it's still it's mm-hmm. very they're both very dense records um but just in the way that they are uh layered and mixed this one is very dense with just a few guitar tracks you know mm-hmm. whereas an album like loveless is dense with how many instrumental tracks are there and how many effects are going into it and everything. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, but they both do seem to have... To, to me, I think they're very comparable in so much as, sonically, they have a, a lot of interest in texture um, mm-hmm. over straight melody, I'd say, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, and lyrically, I would say the, the lyric parallels were what really made me draw that reference. I think lyrically there's a very similar sense of that kind of uh, teenage melancholia, as it were. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think uh, with that, um, what kind of the difference is for me is that while they tackle a lot of the same subjects, uh, this album makes me like feel the loneliness of uh duster pretty much like it has those same kind of uh, topics and a lot of the topics on here are kind of like you said teenage melancholy in a way uh and just like not in a, not full-on despair but like a kind of feeling lonely and like taken out of society in a way like kind of alien is the way mm-hmm. that I think of this and it definitely like like I said when I first listened to this I was staring up at the sky and I still believe that's like that's my favorite way to look at this record is if I have a clear view of the night sky um yeah and it is and like I said at the very beginning it, it's a very meditative record like it is one that I can see you like turning on to if not zone out to to just kind of let wash over you yeah absolutely uh yeah and like i said it pretty much it uh gives me that sense of just like weightlessness uh when i listen to it yeah so what were uh closing thoughts what do you what do you think closing thoughts i i would like to revisit this album there are a few tracks that i will probably stick with um, just because I find them a bit more appealing and a bit more uh, consistently interesting. Um, and, and there are a few instrumental tracks that I really like too as, as backing music. I don't know when the next time would be that I would revisit the full record, just because I think as a full listen for me, it's a little patience testing. Mm-hmm. But I am glad that I listened to it and I do want to, it, it makes me want to reexamine their other albums. Um, to see how they evolved. Because I think a lot of what they're doing on here is really cool, but it also, to me, does really feel like a first record. Um, okay. Which, even if this is a high point to fans, as someone who's coming from like an outsider perspective, I feel like I might be more interested with what they do with these sounds down the line. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and yeah, I think that's my final my final thoughts. Uh, listen to it if you are a listener. <laughs> Uh, I would say, I mean, just generally listen to it because it is, uh, to many people, a very classic seminal album. But yeah. if you're looking for something to kind of chill out to, something kind of heady and uh, and downtrodden, or you want to zone out while lying on your bed in kind of a T pose, uh, check out this record. <laughs> and uh, if we're going to play a track from it real quick. Um, I think I would recommend uh, Heading for the Door, the second track. It's what most feels like a lead single to this, to the record as a whole to me. Yeah, so uh, here is Heading for the Door, and after that we'll be right back talking about our next album. This is U92 The Moose.
You are listening to U92, The Moose. More specifically, this is Say Something Nice, a weekly music talk show in which me and my co-host Anthony here uh, suggest albums to one another. Uh, Right now, we're going to be talking about uh, Always, uh, the band Always and their album Antisocialites. This is their sophomore record from 2017 the band is out of uh canada somewhere in canada i'm not uh, positive where off the top of my head um but this record is a favorite of mine i think it is great music for most moods it has a very beachy kind of feel uh with very at times melancholic lyrics um this record came after their very acclaimed debut, which was just self-titled, which had a bunch of uh, really popular indie tracks, uh, including um, Archie Marry Me and Adult Diversion. A couple of really great tracks, but that album I feel like is not as effective or as sonically, lyrically interesting as what they would do on Antisocialites. So, uh, Anthony, what did you think of this record? Yeah, it's potent. It's a potent album. Um... To put it one way, I suppose, uh, it's 33 minutes, I believe. Uh, so it's very short. A lot of the songs are very short, too. Uh, and it's a great pop album. It's a, it's a pop album. Uh, I, it, was, it was enjoyable. Definitely uh, uh, the best way I could put it was it was pleasant. It was a pleasant listen. Um, a lot of the kind of uh twee vibes it was like it was a good uh throwback to like a lot of that 80s jangle kind of stuff um which a lot of indie has covered in recent years uh kind of making those old sounds new again for sure for me this one because i think Part of the problem that I had with their debut, the reason it didn't stick as much, uh, in my opinion, as well as I don't think the mixing on that album was as good, like, simply. Mm -hmm. But that album, to me, felt a little more too wrapped in nostalgia without doing things, uh, anything new, really. Mm -hmm. I feel like the way that this one combines uh, different genres and sounds, and there's a lot of, like, kind of surf guitar on it, as well as um, just a, a lot of classic dream pop. Uh, sounds and even some elements of shoegaze in the mix i'd say a little bit Um, you have a lot of those uh one of the things that i really enjoyed about the album are kind of those really distant uh feedbacking guitars and some of the intros yeah um and then the density of the mixes on this too uh there's so much going on and when i was looking at the album credits there's like 19 different instruments that are credited uh everything yeah, from like it's, violin to glockenspiel and it's it's really interesting um because it wasn't when i first listened to the record i wouldn't have figured that it was that densely layered um it was when i was watching live performances of the band online and i saw just how much each member was doing um mm-hmm. that i realized how deceptively complex and uh kind of multi-phasic a lot of these songs are yeah what kind of uh gave that away for me on repeated listens because it was not something that popped out first listen uh was the fact that a lot of the songs don't start out that dense they kind of build as they go on um yeah 
which makes sense given the structure of the songs. They're all, ex- save for two of the songs I have written down, uh, have a very, like, just like classic strong song structure uh, where they have I, a couple the, verses, tossed in some choruses, uh, and a bridge somewhere in there as well. Well, before I get to what I'm curious about, I did want to say that um, I think it's interesting that you bring that up because um, uh, Molly Raskin or uh, Raskin or Rankin, I can't remember her name fully right now, unfortunately, <laughs> but uh, the lead singer of the band and the, um, the front woman mm-hmm. uh, generally um, has spoken on several times in the past how she likes to just make pop music. Um, she doesn't and she, when talking about her first record, felt that a lot of critics who, while praising it, kind of called it like a guilty pleasure, which I think in several ways she sort of uh, detested. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I Because I that. think that, I right, that. it's something that I'm not a big fan of either. But I think that she sees some inherent value in pop, and I think that she, and what I really like about this record is because I think I, I feel largely the same way, is that I think if you can make a classic standard pop song consistently interesting. I think that takes a lot of talent mm-hmm. um, because pop songs are meant to be instant, but they're also meant to be very short lived. They're meant for, you know, the radio, they're meant to um, make money, get in people's heads and leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you make one that can do more than that and can stand the test of time, I think that's really a testament to your abilities as a songwriter. Um, yeah, and I think that's the definitely. way that she kind of views pop music as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, And I mean, again, looking at the structure, you can kind of, uh, or just listening to the album, you can really see her love of pop shine through the, so many of these songs, uh, like I'd wake up in the morning and then while I'm just like doing my thing before I know it, one of these songs is in my head and I haven't listened to the album in 14 hours, Uh, which is not like something, you know, a lot of the music I listen to is not, necessarily something that happens is not necessarily something that gets stuck in your head uh the hours after you've listened to the record um and i like how uh you mentioned the dark the darker subject matter in your introduction of this album uh but it don't it never feels dark uh save for oh there's some uh moment i forget uh one of the songs i think uh you were saying that um how they would be stuck in your head and everything and i was just going to say that uh at the center of like a lot of these songs in the in the chorus and hook have i think they are built around a very strong um earworm or sometimes several like very strong hooks Mm -hmm. Uh, but i feel like could get sometimes things like that can rub people the wrong way these songs never felt uninvited to me um I don't know what it is about them. Maybe it's because there was consistently, I think the lyrics here are, you know, they're not too deep. They're cute and like relatable and everything like that, but they're usually funny and and, uh, nice enough and interesting enough to where they don't feel vapid. Okay. Yeah. Um, So Um, I think that might be part of it from a writing perspective. Definitely. Uh, And a lot of the lyrics, uh, like you mentioned, are, uh, upon deeper inspection pretty dark but uh they always sing about them in a re- and writes them in a really just like interesting and kind of funny and cute way uh that makes it not seem dark until you kind of 
listen uh back and listen a little bit deeper um yeah and there's a couple of quotes that i wanted to pull i think just one there's two quotes i think in particular that i want to pull uh the one line that i just liked on dreams tonight was who builds a wall just to let it fall down uh Mm. was just kind of an interesting like yeah yeah (laughs) yeah on the album uh but then one of my one of the lines that I really enjoyed was on your type Uh, considering she the entire song she keeps going I die on the inside Uh, Mm. but then the one line is you're an O I'm a B which I like laughed out loud whenever I actually read that yeah Uh, because you do you do die on the inside your body attacks itself if you get the wrong yeah and that was just it's just a really interesting uh kind of way uh to switch up the whole year type uh archetype that's so omnipresent in a lot of songs yeah i think maybe that is going back to lyrically and and how these songs to me don't wear out is that i feel like they are they are tackling very like tried and true like pop song subjects um but in kind of clever and and unique ways um consistently like i think that turn of phrase uh you're an o and i may be is just one of many similar ones like that on the record um that i that stand out to me anyway i did want to go back because i just before we get too far away from it you said that every song uh except for two that you had written down Mm -hmm. uh followed kind of a classic pop song structure um i was curious about what those two were Oh, you're going to make me go back to the lyrics. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think... mm, Let me... Yeah, I'm going to... I want to say it was... Yeah, I'm going to have to look at the lyrics for that one. Uh, But if you give me a second, I I can try and do it while we're speaking as well um yeah well i was just um because i do think there are a few tracks on this that at first because my guess would be that it's track uh eight and track ten which are immediately sonically different to my ears insofar as that they are much more sonically melancholic songs Mm -hmm. um much more downtrodden and much more sparse um they're mostly synth-led there are not there as many kind of uh high energy guitar parts or anything on them um and i think they are the most and they're they're not songs that are inherently you know any more sad or downbeat than any of the other ones on here um but they immediately stood out to me upon first listen in a way that i didn't love especially forget about life which is the closer um, because I think, you know, all of the ones on here are such strong pop songs. Those ones didn't hit me quite the same way. Um, but upon revisiting the album as many times as I have, I have mm-hmm. grown a fondness for those ones, especially Forget About Life, which I think is a very poignant way to, to end the album. Um, it, it's, it, this is a very youthful album in many ways, too. Um, mm-hmm. And I think about that when listening to Forget About Life, which does the, the classic youth pop song thing of you know living for tonight uh as it were even though in the song what i think is interesting on that track is the tonight that is described is not an ideal one 
they're drinking bad <laughs> wine while floating in a hotel pool. Uh, yeah. It's not, you know, it, it's not like a perfect night or anything, but it feels very personal, very real, and very heartfelt um, in a way that pop songs that don't stand as well uh, tend to not. Uh, so, like, that is why I think this rings uh, more... It rings truer to me than than a mm-hmm. pop song that's focusing on, like, the, the grand subject of tonight. To go back to your question, the two songs that don't uh, have a, that kind of classic structure are uh, Hey and Already Gone. So let's track six and eight. Hmm. Um, and what what about what about Hey doesn't meet your uh, your classic pop song structure? Uh, I mean, like every other song has a couple verses, a couple choruses, and a bridge thrown in there somewhere. And those mm-hmm. are the only two songs that just don't have that. Um, it's uh, more uh, like none of the lyrics repeat. Uh, in the same way. There's no chorus uh, in the same way. Like, uh, there's no refrain and stuff like that, uh, which is actually That's interesting. interesting. So, so um, Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I really enjoyed uh, the song Hey, but one of the notes that I have written down is that uh, it doesn't stick with me as much, which is really mm-hmm. interesting uh, considering the fact that it doesn't have that traditional pop structure. Uh, like I think 90% of the songs here finish with a chorus um, and that song didn't which kind of uh, I think is just interesting that it didn't stick with me because I think that's probably why that is interesting and I never even considered Hey as having a non-traditional pop song uh, structure because there are so many, even though there's no chorus in that song, there are a lot of things that I consider to be kind of hooks uh, mm-hmm. in that song. Um, so it isn't one, although it is one, I guess, that upon revisiting it just, uh, just today, since we were talking about it, that didn't stand out as much to me as some of my other favorites on the album have. So that is mm-hmm. interesting that you bring that up. Um, and I, you, I, you might be right that those are the only uh, two that don't kind of end in a, a big repetition of the chorus. Um, thinking back in my head now, I can't think of any other ones that, that really don't. Mm-hmm. Um, it is interesting, though, because I think there are moments where the, the moments that come to my mind where this strays from like a, a traditional pop song format um, would be like in uh, Plimsoll Punks which is for the most part a traditional pop song, but ends the last minute or so of that track is uh, purely instrumental. And it's instrumental in a very quiet and solemn way that the rest of the song is mm-hmm. not. Um, but then that so song things like that. does... Uh, oh, right. Well, the weird transition at the end of it. Now I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't fully even transition into the next track. It feels very... Like mm-hmm. it's, that little bit stands kind of on its own. Um, um, which is interesting. I want to say there's that, a. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was I was just going to say I want to say there's a similar thing to that on uh, "Not My Baby" as well, um, if memory serves. Uh, so it's just interesting to me the parts that um, sort of structurally and instrumentally differ from the classic pop format. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it's interesting that you bring up the ending to Plimsoll Punks because that's actually one of the issues that I had with this album, not specifically that song, um, which I do. It's kind of weird that they included that on uh, the song in particular and didn't just kind of separate it out into kind of interlude. Um, mm-hmm. But the inclusion of that is weird to me because it doesn't make the transition into the next song any better. And it's a kind of awkward transition out of that song as well. Um, And then that kind of goes through for a lot of the album for me where uh, the transitions are just really like some of the songs just get cut off uh, really weirdly. Like, uh, oh, where is it? Um, Like Saved by a Waif ends really abruptly uh and i feel like a lot of songs are kind of like that where they just kind of end uh when yeah i can i can see what you're saying there they either end abruptly or like plimsoll punks they end and then there's kind of a kind of epilogue situation yeah it doesn't that really connect I just, to anything yeah it doesn't really connect it doesn't transition out of the song any better and it doesn't make the transition into the next song any better as well uh that's just something I didn't didn't really vibe yeah. with on that. That's that's valid. I that never really bothered me too much. Um, and I I wish I could tell you exactly why. I, I think it's because I prefer so long as something different is happening for me as a listener. I don't mind. One of my least favorite kind of tactics in pop music is when a like the first verse of a song stops. Uh, entirely and then picks back up and the second verse is the exact same instrumentally and they just kind of put that pause in there so you kind of so it kind of has a restart to momentum Um, and that's something that to me doesn't happen on this record because if rather whether it is a song ending abruptly or a song doing something completely different there for a minute it never loses that momentum it's always moving forward to my ears definitely and I think the way that the instruments build on each other uh, really helps with that because it gets more and more layered as a lot of the songs go on, uh, at least on my listening. That's what I was picking up on. Um, Yeah. It's interesting um, as well, because even though this is very much a pop album through and through, I think that the use of uh, instrumentation is interesting. And I wanted to bring up how, um, the front woman has said in the past that the band's emphasis is primarily on strong melodies rather than a specific genre. Uh, because I think there are moments on here that while the strong structure is very much rooted in just straight pop, uh, instrumentally, they become very um, disparate, uh, whether it's like the uh, kind of surf guitars on tracks like Plimsoll Punks or something, or the kind of like almost raucous uh, pop punk adjacent sound of your type. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the different sounds that they, that they bring on and cling to while maintaining that pop sensibility makes this album quite enjoyable as well. It sounds very consistent without ever getting stale to me. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think if it, if the album went on any longer, it'd be too long for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, just because of 
that uh, and the way that the songs, uh, like I think they used, they got all their sounds in and I'm not sure if they had had anything else to add. So I really appreciate them just stopping it short and not being like, oh, well, here's a couple extra songs to make the album 40 minutes. Like, Yeah, I do love a good short album myself as well. As I said in the first half of the show, I'm a very mm-hmm. uh, impatient listener. Uh, so a 33-minute album, boy, howdy. I'm, I'm already there. <laughs> um, yeah, and kind of to that same... Uh, slightly different instrumentation uh they play with noise a lot um but you know me i really wish they went all in on a couple of these songs um yeah because there are there are for sure moments where they play with noise but it rarely lasts more than a couple seconds before like the actual kind of pop song starts yeah it's always just uh especially it's always at the uh towards the end of the album they do it more but on hey they do it on Lollipop, they do it on Already Gone, they do it uh, Saved by a Waif, they do it. Uh, and there's like that feedback or like really weird, just like super interesting guitar at the beginning. But then that goes away like really quickly. And I wish that was more prevalent because uh, getting into some closing thoughts here, mm-hmm. um, that is like a lot of the album was pretty uh, saccharine to me in a way. Like it's just really like, I have a note on here somewhere that it is the sound of ice cream, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is definitely like, there's a place for it. Um, but I wish that they brought some of those noisier notes in a little bit more, made it a little bit more, prevalent uh because that catches my ear when i hear that uh and i'm a big fan of guitar feedback and i wish it wasn't just like like it was a tease for me for it yeah. to be in there that, I, uh, I think that's like when they play with elements of like shoegaze or mm-hmm. um I, i'd say they play with dream pop on this album i'd say their first album is a little more straight dream pop inspired um it's much more reverby and kind of uh you know, uh, wet in the mix, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, as albums like that tend to be. But those sounds certainly are still here, but they're played down um, in a way to kind of make room for what I think is uh, like the strongest aspect of the album is like the great pop songwriting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why I think they kind of paired back their sounds and sonic experimentation. Even though, like I said, that's never been what the band's fully about, but they do consistently play with some of that stuff, though it's never the intended like purpose of, of a project from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, uh, it's an interesting sound uh, for the album because the first time I listened to this, I really wanted it to be upbeat, and it definitely is upbeat, but it's not... <laughs> uh like it's it's upbeat but it doesn't quite sit right like it's a there's a tiny bit of like unsettlingness to it uh that kind of puts it off in a weird way i think that it's how kind of like i don't want to say washed out it is um but it's really dreamy and it's kind of weird to hear dream pop that's this upbeat um (laughs) 
Yeah, and, I, when you compare it to like the dream pop stuff of like someone like Beach House or mm-hmm. um, yeah, there it certainly occupies a very different space. Yeah, so it just had that like it was a bit like like it was upbeat, but it just wasn't. Uh, which I know you mentioned that it kind of for you works as a good winter album too. And for me, that's kind of where the switch was, was because it is upbeat, but it doesn't quite have that summery feel because of that dreaminess. Right. That's To me, this album works best when you are in the winter kind of thinking about the summer. Yeah. Uh, that's what this album most reminds me of. And don't get me wrong, I listen to it in the summer. I'll listen to it whenever. <laughs> but <laughs> that is, and that's what I was listening to this album most was around last winter. Um, as I was, you know, cramming for finals or whatever, this would be my soundtrack of choice because it is, it's a very good, and it's interesting. That's why, and maybe we can do this in the full closing segment here if you want to shout your favorite song real quick, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, we can play that and come back and get some some closing thoughts on both both records, and then uh, pick our two for next week. Yeah, um, sound good. Yeah, so I would just like to say one more thing that oh, uh, the pop structures did after a few listens start to get a bit grating. As soon as I noticed, wow, every song here just ends with a repeat of the chorus it kind of started to hit me a little bit. Uh, And if I could shut that off, I really enjoyed the album. But if I found myself focusing on that too much, it kind of really got in my head a little bit. Because I'm not, uh, over the past couple of years, I have kind of like rejected that uh, whole idea. And uh, I'm slowly starting to let it back into my life. But it was... uh, once I kind of noticed it, it was just kind of something that ticked in the back of my head a little bit. Um, yeah. Well, someone who has a big love for the pop sound, I hope this record was a good step in letting that back into your life. Yeah. <laughs> um, my favorite song was Dreams Tonight. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and listen to that here in a second after we give each other our recommendations for next week. Uh, so I'll let you go ahead and... Uh, just introduce that a teeny tiny bit. Yeah. Um, real quick, before we get into that, I did just want to say kind of a closing uh, thought on both oh, records. It's, yeah. it's interesting to me how we both kind of chose these records as, and I, I maybe want to draw more correlations than <laughs> tend to be necessary, but uh, these records as sort of, I, I don't want to say background music because I think they're ones that, uh, mean like a lot to us respectively like i think your your uh, dust record means a lot to you and uh always certainly means means a, a great deal to me but um they are albums that were there for us when we kind of needed <laughs> music mm-hmm. in the background <laughs> and uh and i think the way that they use uh kind of melancholic lyrics and um uh, bits of sonic uh experimentation they use them or they use very similar uh, things in theory but to very different results and so I thought listening to these and comparing them directly was very interesting because I think like Duster takes their sonic experimentation and heads straight into it whereas uh, with Always they're kind of always playing around the edge with it uh, and kind of casting it to the side for more straightforward songwriting um, so I thought I thought that was an interesting parallel yeah but, 
uh, and it's interesting. They do have that uh, um, kind of similarity in the sonic experimentation. But then again, like you said, with the more straightforward songwriting, they're complete. Like the one way that they are complete opposites is the uh, total presence of song structure in antisocialites yeah. and the absolute lack of almost any song structure in that duster record like yeah. I, don't th- I don't think there's a single the the songs aren't even long enough to have or the lyrics aren't long enough to have refrains yeah it's it's and it, it struck me as interesting because these are two records that on their face sound very different but i think when you kind of strip them back you realize how similar they are definitely um, yeah and so i think it's funny that no thought went into picking these two and they ended up being to my mind quite similar uh conceptually thematically um etc but in any case uh starting for next week uh if you would like to listen along at home with us we will be doing this again next week talking about two albums the one i am suggesting to anthony is a pom pom by ariel pink um his excellent double album out from I believe 2014, 2015. I don't have the information in front of me right now, but I will have that. I'll have that by the uh, next time. Very weird hypnagogic pop record. Um, Lots of fun. A very fun record. Uh, And then Anthony? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and have Griffin listen to the latest album uh, from Katie Gately. Uh, That album's called Loom. Uh, And it's a super dark. Sorry, I'm not trying to get you like uber depressed over here (laughs) i swear uh but a very dark uh one of the more interesting art pop uh projects that i've seen super uh dense and layered uh and lots of uh really interesting sounds and sonic textures going on on that i uh i have a bad feeling that this podcast is going to be just me trying to get you to like pop music and you just making me depressed i mean and so it goes. <laughs> <laughs> and so it goes. Um, um, but without further ado here, um, we will be listening to those records next time. Definitely check them out on your own time if you want to follow along with us. And to play you out, we've got uh, Always with their song Dreams Tonight right here on U92, The Moose. See you next week.
This has been a production of WVU Student Media and U92 The Moose. Say Something Nice, hosted by Anthony Wells and Griffin McMorrow, will re-air every Sunday at noon with new episodes featured Wednesdays at noon here on U92 The Moose. Now, back to the music.